I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. Well, Susan, I want to welcome everyone back to Parent Talk. This is a special episode of Parent Talk because we're going to talk about when parents disagree about parenting. You know, just up front, it's very obvious that no two people are alike. And I'm a father of identical twin girls. And I can tell you, even though their DNA is exactly alike, they don't even think alike. So in this episode of Parent Talk, Managing the Challenges of Daily Parenting, we really have a chance to think about what that means for each parent and for each child to have two people in their lives when there's two parents who don't necessarily see things the same way. We're born with our personality. It's sculpted by powerful experiences. And what comes out is something unique to each of us. Since everyone's moved by becoming a parent, everyone's going to dream also about how their child's going to be. And what we want to do today is explore the ways in which the differences that are inherent in each person come out in expectations, in dreams about the child, what people think they'd like to see their child become. That all goes into how we respond to them breaking a rule or refusing to toilet or fighting about food. Arthur, I remember you said something, and I just want to repeat that. You said the only time probably parents are exactly on the same page is at the moment of their child's birth, when they are both overjoyed and excited to welcome a new life into the world. And we have to keep remembering when parents are disagreeing that they actually fundamentally want the same thing for their child, right? They they want them to be healthy, happy productive individuals. And how you get there is going to look different, I think, for each parent. So I'm going to start with story number one. There is a school of thought that says a child has to taste everything on their plate or even finish everything on their plate before they get dessert. Now, we've done podcasts on eating, I think three of them, as a matter of fact. We don't want to go into that so much as what do you do when you've got really completely opposite ideas? I know I talk from this a little bit of experience because I was an incredibly picky eater. I only ate about four foods till I was eight years old. Uh And it's amazing. It's amazing I lived this long. Yes, both (laughs) of us. Isn't that funny? I didn't know that about you. Oh, you didn't know it? Yeah, well, yeah. Even after all these years, you can find out something new, right? And I remember being forced to sit at the table and they would force me to eat because I was very small and I ate so little. And I was determined that when I had children, under no circumstances was I ever going to force them to eat. I think they have a fancy name for it, baby led weaning, you know, putting the food and letting them choose. But I will tell you that I had a lot of pressure, not from my husband, to be honest, but from my mother, who was still working on that old paradigm, which is, you know, you've got to feed the child. And when it's a parent, it's a bit easier if you have the gumption to actually say, I'm not basing this just on my feeling. I'm basing this on research. There are so many things out there, you know, that a parent or a spouse could read to at least open up the discussion. I really like the idea of at least sharing research. Right up front, I think it's important to say the goal is not to erase the differences. The difference of opinion is valuable. 
because it gives the child the sense, oh, maybe there's not just one right way to solve a problem. There's a number of different ways. And couldn't our country use that sort of approach to all sorts of problems today? It's really a strength for the child to say, there's a range of possibilities here for me to, to deal with this situation. And maybe I'll try this way today. Maybe I'll try that way tomorrow. Now, the parents, of course, don't want to confuse the child. So if the two parents know that they're going to respect each other's approach and then say, okay, this time, what's our message together going to be for the child? That's a good way to do it. Now, that requires a couple key points. One is that the parents recognize that they disagree. Number two, have the ability to talk to each other. Me talking to my wife about the value of her approach and my wife talking to me about the value of my approach. And then from that stance, you can actually have a conversation about what approach they want to take with this issue with this child. But it, it takes some conversation, I think, to pull it off. It does. And one of, one of the approaches that I will sometimes use with parents is what are your actual goals for your child? And I'm sure that the person who really wants that child to eat everything on their plate or at least take a few bites, I'm quite sure that they would say, I want them to explore all sorts of textures and et cetera. I bet you anything that that's exactly what the other parent will be saying as well. And then together they say, look at, we actually have a common goal. So let's figure out an approach that's going to allow us to guide our child so that they can actually get to our stated goal. And I think you're right. In that case, you can always try, offer the child a bite of something, but then what's your response going to be? And I think that that's something you're right. I think if parents talked about it away from their child, I should, I should point this out. Away from their child when the child isn't overhearing this. This is not a conversation for children to overhear unless the child is part of the conversation, like a, a six or seven year old or something like that. But really, these are adult conversations. And I like this idea of everyone writing down, what's your goal? Why are you saying this? My goal is. And I think you're going to see that there's a lot of overlap. Well, I think that's great uh, how you put it into this specific thing around the picky eater. I mean, in my practice, we see a ton of parents who uh, disagree about whether a child's a picky eater. The issue comes up a lot. And like you, I, w- I was, maybe to some degree still am, a very picky eater. So I think us picky eaters, and there's a lot of us out there, are very sensitive to anyone trying to come up with a better idea for us to eat than what we have. Now, Let's go down the path with the situation another step, because sometimes the approaches aren't so reconcilable. You have one parent who's like us, Susan, who's very picky and doesn't want to impose any pressure on the child at all. In fact, is allergic to the idea of even talking about them trying something they don't want to. And the other parent, they're scared that if they don't push their child to try things, they'll end up missing the world or having a poor nutrition or, you know, some terrible thing will happen if they don't just, quote unquote, just try it. So some parents really feel very, very, very strongly that. that they have to try it. And the other parent may feel just as strongly and passionately, please, please leave them alone. What do parents do when they sit down with that particular quandary? Because they're not going to agree. And not only are they different, but the other parent represents exactly what they fear most their child might turn out to be. So that, that's a situation where actually the, the disagreeing parents represent each other's greatest fear. Greatest fear, right? <laughs> so it's very hard to have a conversation. You know, if I'm the picky eater, the other parents think, well, God help us. So they turn out like you. 
But on the other hand, the picky eater, at least in my case, and it sounds like in yours too, I, it went on for a long time. I was, it wasn't just a baby. I mean, mm-hmm. I had, I have conscious memories of, of that. I can say the reason I remained a picky eater for as long as I did is that people were always trying to force me to do something and to eat something totally against my will. And I think that, that in that particular case, we're hoping that, that the marriage is, is, is solid enough that you can have that difference of opinion and still begin to move forward. This is not easy. It's not something that's going to be fixed in a day. It won't be fixed. It's really an idea of opening up communication so that whatever event happens, that there's going to be an ability for both parents to talk to each other and choosing a path to help guide their child, whatever the situation is. I'll give you this. The picky eater parent can say to the uh, hopeful parent, why don't you try out your guidance on me? Because I'll be able to tell you what works and what doesn't. And And how it feels. And how it feels. feels. And let's work together on getting your message through in a way that doesn't make our child bristle. Uh, I'd be the perfect partner for you to uh, rehearse these things. I think that's fantastic. And in, in our situation, my husband had no, knew me since I was a young teenager. So he was kind of used to my picky eating and he left that all to me. I'm, I'm happy to say that the conflict in my case was easier to resolve because it was with a, a grandparent and not a spouse who's there at almost all the meals. You know, the other major point that comes up in the story is that the key word here that you want to avoid, if you feel this, you know, you're on the wrong path. That word is undermined. When two parents disagree, each of us feel like we're right. And so when the other one goes a different route, it feels like they're somehow weakening our stance. They're undermining our position. Mm-hmm. There's a sense that somehow the kid will dismiss uh, my view as a parent about what should be done. The child won't learn from me because they're getting another input. So if either parent feels like the other parent is undermining them, that means they haven't had the conversation yet about right. the fact that there's a difference between them and that the difference needs to be bridged, but not eliminated. And that they could even take turns about which parent gets their way, you know, on different issues. But finding some path to say, okay, we're going to disagree. We do feel differently. And in this food instance, uh, we just laid out one of several hundred ways that right. you, you could find some way to respect the difference and yet come to the child with united message. I completely agree. And I hope that when parents are faced with this, instead of just bristling at their partner, they take a deep breath and a step back and say, let's let it slide for now. We're going to have our conversation and begin to work as a team. Because you're right, there can really so easily be that feeling of being undermined. And that's sort of a segue into my talking about the co-sleeping issue. And and I'm not talking about with an infant or even a toddler. This is an actual case that I had uh, with a mother who was a a late-in-life mother. She had had years of infertility and had this, what she considered her miracle baby. The little girl was seven years old and still slept in the bed with the mother and the father. In fact, by this time, the child at seven is not so small. The father had moved to another bedroom. And it was not something that he at all agreed with. He very much wanted to get back into the marital bed and have their seven-year-old, who was in grade school already, sleep in her own bed. And when the parent came to me, she was so distressed because she really wanted the child 
to be in the bed. But this is where the difference was. The father just said, she's got this bedroom with a beautiful, you know, wallpaper and everything else. Just tell her that's where she's going to sleep. The mother just felt there was no way she could do that. The father was actually saying, then we don't have really a marriage here. You know, I mean, it was really pushing it to the wall. It was a pretty serious situation. So what we talked about were ways that we could compromise between the father who really wanted to go cold turkey. You know, get her out of the bedroom, put her in her room, lock the door if you have to. That's the end of it. The mother couldn't do that. So what we did is what they sometimes call successive approximations. So we started with the child sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. And I said to the mother, you can make her little nest comfortable at the beginning. You're going to make it less comfortable (laughs) as the days go on. And moving her closer to the door, then into the hallway, then into the doorway on the floor until she actually made it into her own room. And then she could have the choice. She could still sleep on the floor if she wanted to. But, you know, most children will, of course, choose to get into their bed. The mother was so relieved because this gave her a way of gently removing her child from the bedroom. And even though it would take more than one night, it would take a couple of weeks. It only took seven years old. It did not take months. It it just took a couple of weeks. And this was a, a time where where the parents, because they were so ingrained in their own, I I can't just do this to her. I can't get rid of her, you know, I can't just throw her out of the room. And the father's saying, throw her out of the room. It's been seven years and, you know, we don't, we don't share a bed anymore. There was a middle ground and the father was way into it. He said, okay, I can take that. And that particular situation was completely resolved within actually less than two weeks. That is such a powerful story. And we tend to think of sleep as a calming event, but you know, where your child sleeps and what you do with them when they call for you in the middle of the night, that's a big issue. And as you were telling the story, I couldn't help thinking one of the big points we want to share with people in this episode is that each of us can't help but come to parenting through our own experience. So let's talk about these two parents that you just presented. Anyone who likes a good TV series knows that one of the best parts of watching a great TV drama series is you get to see the backstory. Everyone has a backstory, right? So the father, I believe it was, who wanted the child to sleep in her own room may have grown up without a lot of resources, let's say, making this up, and vowed when he got older that he would provide for his family and that his measure of being a successful parent would be that his child would have their own room and have their own bed and be able to afford good things in life and not suffer whatever pangs came with being denied various resources. And the mother may have grown up with emotionally distant parents. And her vow when she was growing up was when she's a mother, she will never let her child ever feel neglected. You can imagine sending the child off to the bedroom, according to the father's wish, would trigger mother's greatest fear that somehow she would cause emotional distress to her child, something that she really suffered from as a child herself. And keeping the child in the room would deny the father the chance of fulfilling everything that he dreamed about becoming a parent and providing for his family. And so when we say people have differences, we don't just mean differences of opinion. And it's not just personality. Everyone experiences pain, right? That's not something you can avoid. And I think every one of our listeners who's a parent probably has taken a vow at some point, well, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to cause the pain I experienced as a child. And so when we talk about parents having differences, it's almost always the case that something threatens to violate one of their prime directives. 
And mm. that's why it's so painful to talk about. That's why we avoid the issue. And I think most people think that the best way through this is to deny that there's a difference and go back to this universal thing. You know, we all love our children. We all want the same thing for them, which we do. And that's the meeting point that people can find. But we don't want people to pretend as though there aren't differences. There's differences of experience, different pains, different traumas, different hopes to avoid some awful thing they experienced as a child. I think it's a great thing when there's a difference for parents to say, I'm, I'm really listening now. Could you please tell me, I need to understand why this is so important to you. I think that is something that needs to be repeated. That is, I think, absolutely key to what we're talking about. If the other parent can say, why is this so important? Why is it so important for that child to taste every bit of food? Why is it so important for the child to be potty trained at 18 months? You know, whatever it is, you know, why is it so important for that child to sleep in, in her own room? And, and I have to say that that's the only way that you can tap into those childhood experiences of the parent, because you're right. Nobody comes to parenting without a whole load of baggage. <laughs> and as they start to unpack their baggage with their partner, their wife, their husband, that's the only way that they can, someone else can see the other point of view. It's very difficult when everyone is sort of entrenched. You know, they're, they've dug their heels in the ground. They've drawn the line in the sand and they say, no, no. If they can take that step back and they have that private adult conversation, that's the only way that you're going to get to start to understand the other person's point of view and understanding the point of view will allow a compromise to occur. You know, this reminds me of uh, one of the key points in our prior podcast, an idea that you developed, which is when you approach a child who's done something wrong, and I don't want anyone to say I'm saying either parents here are doing anything wrong, but the parallel is in the neutrality of the response. So we help parents cultivate a neutral tone so that child's teeth aren't set on edge. And I think the same advice comes here. Can you come to each other and try to gain some understanding for each other's position? I think it's so important that first moment when you say, could you please explain to me why this is so important to you? You could say it in a nasty way, right? You could say, why the heck is this so important to you? <laughs> and you don't want to be too sappy either. Like, all I want to know is why this is important to you. You're trying to find a neutral stance that tells the other person you're actually interested. You could actually use the words, I see. I see that this is really causing you some angst, that you are really having big feelings about this topic. Do you have any insight as to why this is so important? You can actually use almost the same words that you would with a child, but that's the only way that you're going to find some sort of either compromise or middle ground, or you might even convince a parent to come over. One parent could convince the other one, oh, okay, I'm seeing the light. We're not trying to wipe out the differences because that's what makes a very rich tapestry of the family life that, that, that people are bringing different talents, different ideas, different thoughts to the family environment. But we do need to know that children will thrive better under a consistent direction, but also when the parents aren't always at each other's throats in front of the child. And as we wrap up this discussion today, just want to remind people again, uh, sort of the parenting tip here, the big parenting tip to this podcast is that all parents are different because each person's different, shaped by different personalities, different experiences. And so we want to help parents appreciate that fact and find the path 
to respect each other's differences. And what a wonderful thing that is for your child to see two people with different outlooks come to some mutual understanding. That's almost as important as whatever message you're trying to deliver to the child. I agree. And thank you for summing it up so beautifully, Arthur. Goodbye for now. I'll see you next time. Thank you, Susan. We'll talk to you all next time. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.